Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network, bringing you conversations with experts in the field of sports. Today's is an expert, not only as a player, but also as a, as a coach, as a motivator, uh, someone who is a, a, a good friend of mine. I got to know him as a teammate many years ago at Gonzaga, currently the head strength and conditioning coach at Gonzaga also a owner of U District Physical Therapy, and he also on the side runs a tremendous basketball website and motivational website called Hoop Commitment. None other than the great Mike Nielsen. Mike, how goes life? Oh man, it's always good to be with the old friend, no teammate, and uh, someone like you that just knows basketball. So I'm excited to chop it up with you today. Well, good. Let's get right into it. And, you know, Gonzaga has been a program that has gotten into the national limelight over the last 21 years or so. You were there at the very beginning. You are very close to the program now because as head strength and conditioning coach, uh, you oversee everything. You work closest with the women's program, but you're there day to day on the men's side of the program, just seeing what's going on. If you, if you were to take a walk back in time, 25 years ago, when you stepped on campus after being a player at Shorecrest High School in the Seattle area, could you have imagined what GU has become with facilities and what they are? Not even a chance. First off, I'm so lucky that we weren't this big when I was in high school because there's no way I would have been able to make it here. But I, I vividly remember hanging out with, with my old roommate, teammate, Matt Santangelo, and it was our freshman year. And we, were, we thought we were dreaming big. And we we're talking about, man, by the time we're seniors, not only are we going to make the NC2A tournament, but we're going to win a game. You know, we just, we thought we were dreaming big and it's just such a great example of, you know, dreams need to be even bigger than you think because reality is, is, you know, sometimes crazier than what we can dream up. And so, yeah, when I see the Volker center, when I see us being number one in the nation and, you know, not be, not being mentioned as a mid major anymore, I would have never dreamed that 20 years ago. Well, let's go back to the start of your career at Gonzaga. And Gonzaga is a program that's been built uh, through a lot of hard work and dedication by previous coaches, the current coaches and staff, but also players like yourself, guys that were overlooked at the high school level, had a huge belief in themselves to play at the Division I level, where guys would want to walk on, earn their, their opportunities, and then become a huge part of the program, such as yourself. What was the, the thought process for you um, when deciding to start at Gonzaga as a walk-on when I know you had many other opportunities? The opportunities I had were smaller schools. I had one other Division I offer, but it was kind of a last-minute thing, and I think they were just trying to fill a spot. 
And when I came to Gonzaga as an opportunity to walk on, I came here in high school, met the coaches, met the players, and we did a little open gym. And I just played really well that day. And I'll never forget, it was raining that day. And Coach Munson walked me out to the car. And he says, I want you to know, I don't walk out just anyone in the rain. I really believe you come on and walk on for a year, you know, have that work ethic that I know that I know you have. I really believe that you'll be a scholarship player. And so for me to go somewhere where I'm wanted, that was a huge deal, especially being a walk on. I just that idea of having coaches saying, no, you're a player that I think fits into this system. And I was a pretty hard worker in high school. Going into my senior year, I didn't have any Division I scholarship offers. And so I made a commitment that I was going to carry a basketball with me every single place I went until I signed my Division I scholarship papers. And that was a rough year because a lot of people thought I might have been a little conceited or cocky. But the truth was that basketball was a reminder that I hadn't reached my goal yet. And so I carried that ball to class, ate lunch with it. I took it to the prom, to homecoming, everywhere. And so when I didn't get a scholarship and had to walk on at Gonzaga, that meant I'm carrying this basketball with me my whole freshman year. So I showed up to campus as a walk-on redshirt freshman, lowest man on the totem pole with a little worn out basketball. And uh, it was a, it was a tough go, you know, going, showing up to class and everyone's like, why are you carrying this basketball? You know, going to parties with the basketball, especially myself, I was a non-drinker. So I got a lot of strikes to get me against me. I just always felt like a dork, but to me, that constant reminder of, I got to get better. You know, this dream is right in front of me. And so I think that's what really allowed me to make it was just that mental toughness of, I'm not quitting until I get my, until I achieve my dream. Mental toughness is something that is in the news a lot right now, simply because of of, uh, the pandemic and everything that has uh, occurred in the world, in particular to student athletes kind of turning their world upside down. They can't hang out with their teammates off the court like they are used to. Their family and friends can't come to the games. How do you, as a strength coach that's around uh, the the different programs of Gonzaga on a day-to-day basis, how do you help them through these tough times right now? Well, I think for me, it's about priorities and then making a decision because I'm not mentally tough on everything. I look at what some of our military does. My brother's a police officer and he was a, you know, recon Marine. And he would tell me about some of the cold water training they do. And there's no way I'd make that not even a chance because it's not important to me. It's not important enough to make a decision that I'm not going to quit. Something like basketball was easy because once you decide this is a priority and I can't make basketball and baseball and football and golf and all these other things, you know, you only can really focus on a few things, but once you decide basketball is your priority, then I think you can make a commitment which is, you know, it's not going to be easy. Matter of fact, if it was easy, it wouldn't mean as much. And so what we want to be able to do is expect the hard times, invite the hard times, because you know that's what's going to sift out all the other people. And once you make it a priority, and once you make that commitment, the idea is you just never quit. You keep going. You keep showing up. I mean, there were so many days where the coaches would just, it was almost like the military where they they want to make you quit. They want to break you down. They want to make you feel so insecure and so unconfident and and so stupid that you quit. Because if they can make you feel stupid and incompetent, well, an arena full of 12,000 fans screaming against you is definitely going to break you. And so that was just a huge lesson of which is you just keep showing up. You know, you have a horrible day of practice. The coaches just rail on you. You just feel like you just, you don't belong, but you show up the next day and you keep putting the work in. 
And you do that day in and day out. And one day you turn around and you say, oh, man, I'm one of the guys or I'm a starter or whatever that is. And I just think that idea of never quitting is so important. You've been around GU in, in a number of different capacities as the head strength and conditioning coach, and you're overseeing multiple programs, but in particular, you're closest with the women's program right now. What are the, the constant variables from program to program at Gonzaga? Because there's been a tremendous amount of success not just in men's basketball, but also women's basketball and some of the other sports. What are some of the, the, the constant factors that you see about success in athletics at Gonzaga? Well, one of my favorite quotes is, if you want to know where you're going to be in five years, look at the people you hang out with and the books that you read. And I took it to heart for the last 20-something years. I make sure I surround myself with people that are the kind of people I want to be. And I read books on things where I want to, I want to master those, those arts. And so I look at all the coaches around here and they're hanging out with each other. You know, it's almost contagious, that idea of success and work ethic and, and just always getting better, that 1% rule. And so I think every program takes on the personality of their head coach. And we just happen to be really lucky that the team I work with, women's basketball, Coach Lisa Fortier is all those things. She's constantly, you know, getting mentors and reading books and, and just making sure that she's always getting smarter, better. And then her work ethic is so unbelievable. She's going to put the time in. And so I think our team kind of takes on that personality. And it's so fun. You know, both you and I have got to see, you know, behind the curtains of men's basketball. And I would say it's the same thing. You just look at the work ethic. One of my favorite stories uh, just, you know, happened a couple of years ago, which was I have a little uh, 13-year-old son. He was probably 10 or 11 at the time. And we like to sneak down in the McCarthy Center and get hoops up. You know, we kind of like to dream big. And this was a week after the Final Four. And it was probably, I don't know, 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday or Sunday. And we knew none of the players would be in. It's the nighttime on the weekend. And we roll in. This is a week after the Final Four. And I had already kind of pointed out to my son about Killian Tilly's big free throws. As a freshman, you know, he has two free throws down the stretch to take us to the national championship game. And I have this kind of a, it's kind of like a, uh, this thought that if you have a chance to ice the game with free throws and you miss one, the other team is somehow going to hit a 94 foot three pointer, take it to overtime and you lose. It's just such a momentum shifter. And Tilly knocks down both free throws in the final four, make it to the championship game. And so I always tell my son, man, that's so incredible how he did that well anyhow now you fast forward a week and him and I are going into the gym eight o'clock at night on a weekend and there's only one person in there we hear this ball bouncing so we kind of sneak around the corner until he's shooting free throws and I'm like oh it was like I got goosebumps not only did I see it but my son got to see that and that kind of work ethic in the men's program is just common these guys put in so much work outside of the scheduled practice times and that's why I love being here. I've been at Gonzaga for 20 years because the players, the coaches, the athletic department staff, they motivate me. I love that story about Killian um, knocking down those free throws. And then a week later, you're walking around the corner into the gym and your son sees essentially what a lot of people call the unseen hours. You have to put in the hours when nobody's looking to be able to perform when everybody's looking. So that's a great story and example of that. I want to ask, so with your 20-some years around 
the GU men's and women's program. Is there one player that stands out to you as far as uh, epitomizing leadership, work ethic, just preparation? Oh, wow. Besides Dan Dickow? <laughs> That's a long time ago. I think there's been some guys that have surpassed me. <laughs> well, you really put me on the spot because, you know, some of the women's basketball players come to mind. The men's basketball players. I haven't worked with other sports for a few years, but, you know, some of these rowers, golfers, tennis, volleyball players, they're so inspiring. And I have this kind of a format of three levels of leadership. You know, level one is synergy. It's your ability to create relationships with others. And that's kind of the common thread here at Gonzaga, which I don't know if it's like that in other Division I universities, which would be is people know how to connect and they know how to build relationships and it's not cutthroat. You can kind of know that your teammates have, have their back. And I think that's why we've seen success across most of the sports here at GU is because we have a nice a mix of level one leaders. And then level two is sweat, your ability to lead by example. And now we have less of those players, the players that are not just going to show up early to practice and, and win the conditioning and stay late. But to really be a level two leader, you need to go to bed early. You need to eat breakfast. You have to do your rehab work, which is really difficult to do. And if you do those two levels well, if you know how to build relationships, synergy with teammates, and you know how to lead by example through sweat, then you earn the right to be a level three leader, which is to serve. And there's probably only one or two of those every year that I see, because you see a lot of athletes that will come in, they, they work hard, they're going to lead by example, but they're also going to kind of stay in their own lane. They might see one of their teammates showing up late to practice or not getting their shots up. And they're like, well, you know, I kind of lead by example. That's not my style to say anything. And I think, don't get me wrong, leading by example is really high level leadership. But the highest level of leadership is to serve your teammate when you see them showing up late to practice, to have a conversation. Don't wait for the coach to bring it up. You bring it up. Hey, how's everything going? You okay? I noticed you show up late today. Need a ride? You need a reminder? And then if they don't, well, get your butt to practice on time. Like this is important. And so those are the ones that are few and far between. And the, the best level, one, uh, best level three leader I've ever seen is John Stockton. And we've got to play hoops with him for the last 15 years on Sundays. And you see that three levels of leadership right in action. You see level one because he's the one that calls every one of us, Texas, you know, making sure we know what time that uh, the gym opens up. He unlocks the gym. He literally sweeps the floor for us. And so because of that, we have a lot of trust and we have a relationship with them. And then, you know, from playing, this is not a normal pickup game where you could just kind of go half speed and get some threes on a fast breakup. I mean, every shot matters. And he's the hardest worker on the floor. And that's why he's earned the right to be a level three leader, which is, I don't know if you've been there on the times where maybe he's kicked the ball across the gym or a couple oh, yeah. of times. Yeah, he's at literally at some point. <laughs> he's literally turned the lights off. He's like, it's my gym. If you guys don't raise to my standards, you don't play hard enough. I'm going to turn the lights off and, and basketball is over. And the reason why that's a huge big time leadership move is because he has the other two levels. He's built a relationship with us and we know that he's walking the walk. He's leading by example. And so those things only happen maybe once a year, but when we're not raised to his standard. He cares enough to serve us. And so I think that leadership piece is crucial. And we have a few of those, you know, maybe every year, every other year here at Gonzaga. Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. 
Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Uh, it's tremendous uh, how you break down those leadership uh, traits as well as the ability to get to different levels of leadership. And I 100% agree with you with John and, and how he fits into that and also the stories. And you beat me to it because I was actually going to ask you about John because it seems as if every guy that has come through Gonzaga's program has had a, I don't want to call it a aha moment, but it's like, that's John Stockton. And you meet him for the first time. And then over time, you get to know him even more. And he fits that description that you, you shared so brilliantly. What was your first meeting with John? I think it's probably the same as all of our meetings with John, which is I was a walk-on redshirt freshman. So I was already nervous, but I showed up to the gym in the preseason and I look across the gym and it's John Stockton. And you know, when you see a famous person in person live, they look a little different. And I'm like, I think this is John Stockton, you know? And so of course I'm talking to some of the other guys, is that John Stockton? And they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, what's it like to play with him? And I said, oh, it's great, you know? He'll pass you the ball, but if you miss your first shot, he'll never pass it to you again. <laughs> and so now I'm like extra nervous, but I went over there and I introduced myself. I said, Hey, I'm Mike Nelson. And he said, Oh, nice to meet you. I'm John Stockton. And I'm thinking, I, of course I know you're John Stockton, but it's funny because I've talked about 10 or 20 different players and they all say the same thing. He's going to shake your hand. He's going to look you in the eye, introduce himself. And that's just, uh, you know, like that's just epitomizes John. And then I didn't realize it, but at the time, that preseason, it kind of was set up to where, you know, we had the 10 core guys that would kind of be on a team, you know, they'd be one team, another team. And then we kind of had a team of overseas pros, walk-ons, John Stockton. And so that whole preseason, I was on his team. And I'll never forget that first game or two, I was just trying to get myself in a position where I could not miss a shot, you know, like every time he drive the hole, I would kind of maneuver. So I was always being guarded. But if you play with John, he's going to find a way to get you open. And so he was driving down in the middle of the key. I'm on the baseline. My guy comes to help and he dumps it out. And I'm like 15 feet away. So I'm wide open and there's no way I could do anything except for shoot. And I'm like, this is a tough shot. You know, when you're on the baseline, 15 footer, it kind of seems like a gimme, but you have no depth perception. And so the whole time, I'm not even thinking that I want to make it. I'm just like, please don't airball this. And my arms are a little tight and thank goodness for muscle memory because I went up and I, you know, shot that shot, just like you millions of times, muscle memory, took it in and I switched it. And that was my favorite preseason of my whole life, because from then on, I was on his team. And if you can make a layup and an open 15 footer, you're like Carl Malone. 
And so now the coaches are literally calling my parents. Mike is better than we even thought he was. He's incredible, you know, because I'm playing on John's team. And I'm like one of the best players in the whole gym. And so I'm thinking, I think they're going to ask me not to redshirt. And I think I might start. And then John leaves to go to the NBA. And then the harsh reality of how good I really was hit me hard. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I actually suck if I'm not playing with John. I got to create my own shot. You know, like I'm taking contested three-pointers now, get my shot blocked. But he's a special player, man. I mean, I've never played with anyone that can make you so open and make you think that you're so good. That's uh, that's a couple of tremendous stories about John. And, and I'm 100% the exact same way that I met John for the first time. My redshirt year, I walk into the gym for open, uh, for open pickup runs, and I walk up to John. And I s- introduce myself, stick my hand out, say I'm Dan Dickow, shake his hand, he the exact same thing. He looked me in my eye, shook my hand, and said, I'm John Stockton. And I walked away thinking, you don't have to tell me who you are. You, you and Michael Jordan – have been my two favorite players my whole youth growing up. Uh, but yes, many guys have the, the same first time meeting John stories. I want to ask you a little bit now about hoop commitment. It's something that uh, I don't necessarily want to call it a side project for you, but it seems to me to, to be a passion project for you. It's something that you've kind of really poured a lot of time and energy into um, providing a, a resource of, of information for people, whether it's parents, coaches, or or student athletes about getting better at basketball through other things than just drill work through nutrition, through leadership, uh, through recovery and rehab and workout ideas. Give us a little bit of more information about hoop commitment and, and maybe how people can find out, uh, your podcast or your website. Well, it's definitely a passion project. You know, every summer I would go on vacation and kind of rethink what does the next five or 10 years look like? And this was about 12 years ago, I was laying on a beach in Mexico and I was thinking, man, if I had a billion dollars, what would I do with my life? You know, of course you go on vacation, you kind of lay at the beach for a while, but at some point you got to do something. And that was a huge aha moment because I thought, even if I had a billion dollars, I would still study basketball specific nutrition, training and leadership. You know, right now I just finished nutrition certification. It does not make me one extra penny. There's no reason to do it except for I'm so interested in it. And same thing with leadership. I'm working on my PhD. I'm about to uh, pick it back up after having another kid. And I don't take, you know, I'm not taking these classes because I want to have it on my resume. I don't need a resume. I just love learning about leadership and training, strength, conditioning. And so I just feel like I'm cheating the system because that's my full-time job. My job is to be an expert in basketball nutrition training and leadership and so what's great about hoop commitment it is it's definitely it's just a passion project it's a way for me to document organize you know and and be able to kind of have like a journal of my thoughts and and the nice thing is it's not a money maker so it's not like oh gosh well if I don't if I don't start making money soon I'm gonna have to close up shop I just do this because I love it and so that's why I know it's going to be sustainable it makes you know me a better athlete It, it fills my cup I have three little kids that love basketball. So it fits in the family life. It fits in my work life. It just flows. And then about a year and a half ago, I thought, well, maybe I'll try a podcast. And I tell you what, you probably know this now doing your podcast. This is really cheating the system because now what I've done is I just found all of these mentors or people I look up to experts in the field of nutrition, training and leadership. And then I just pick their brains for 30 minutes to an hour. 
you know, like I'm uh, on Wednesday, I'm meeting with the Houston Rockets strength conditioning coach. And I followed Willie's work for a while. And I'm like, hey, he's, I mean, he gets to train, you know, uh, Westbrook and, and all of these like unbelievable players. And so I just want to pick his brain on conditioning. And so under the, the disguise of the podcast, I say, hey, man, can I interview you for 30 minutes to an hour? And I just have a whole list of questions that I wonder about at the NBA level. How do you how do you manage guys that are high minutes and still condition them? What do you do with players that aren't motivated? All of these things that, you know, that are coming through my head. And so, yeah, if you're interested in basketball specific nutrition, training or leadership, you can kind of join my journey by going on uh, the podcast world and checking out Hoop Commitment. Uh, if you're interested in the website stuff, I just document everything. And so just go to hoopcommitment.com. You'll see all the articles I've written. Everything's basketball. You know, of course, if you like tennis or golf, you're going to get stuff out of the leadership piece and maybe even out of the nutrition piece. But if you're a basketball person, this is definitely the website for you. Well, I agree. I've, I've listened to most of your podcast episodes and they're very good and I enjoy listening to them. And uh, I continue. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the upcoming episodes. Um, you've recently had some things that you've had to kind of work through just like you have motivated and helped your student athletes get through. Uh, are you comfortable sharing a little bit more about uh, some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in these last couple months? Oh yeah, of course. I think sharing is so important because, uh, this was about, you know, maybe almost a year ago, maybe six, eight months ago, I started having these chest pains and I was just feeling constant pressure on my chest. And as you mentioned, Dan, I'm a, a business owner. And so our physical therapy clinic, we had to shut down and Gonzaga was shut down and I have rental houses and I have tenants calling me saying, Hey, I don't know if I can pay rent. And I was just like feeling this pressure, but I just thought it was stress and I'm really good at taking care of myself. So I doubled down on sleep and nutrition and meditation. I was cutting out some of these extracurricular things. I'm like, I'm just going to really make sure that I'm handling my, my stress well. And it wasn't getting better. And so for months and months, I was just having this constant pressure on my chest. And when I go work out to kind of relieve stress, I was feeling kind of just weak. And uh, thank goodness, my wife says, you got to go get this checked out. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's fine. It's just stress. And she would not let off me. And so finally, I went and got checked out. And we found out that I was just born with a bad aortic valve. It was just a birth defect. And over time, my valve had just worn out. And so I found that, that out in November. And in December, I, I had open heart surgery. And the reason I like to share was up until November, I didn't know anyone that had open heart surgery. You know, I just felt a little bit alone. But then once I shared with people and, you know, you don't want to have people feel sorry for yourself or, or, you know, put them in a bad position where they're like, oh, I don't know how to respond. But I started sharing what I was going through. And it was so cool to have people reach out and say, hey, my dad went through that. My uncle went through that. I just had this uh, strength coach at Furman College uh, reach out three weeks ago. He had the exact same surgery that I had. And nobody has this surgery, which is it, you, you not only replace your aortic valve, but you take your pulmonary valve and switch it over. It's a really difficult surgery. And this strength coach who does the exact same job I do working with basketball had the exact same surgery two months before me. And I tell you what, like, it's so fun to be able to pick their brain. Roni Turioff, your old teammate, reached out to me and said, welcome to the zipper club. <laughs> and, I, you know, you go from kind of feeling a little bit scared, uncertain, what does this mean? And then when you have a team around you to pick you up and say, hey, even if they haven't been through it, you know, like so many people haven't had open heart surgery, but they said, 
Hey, can I shovel your driveway? Can I take down your, your Christmas tree? Can I bring you dinner? Man, and I, you know, even if you don't take people up on that, all of a sudden it was like this huge blessing of, I knew I had a bench. I knew I had a team. I didn't realize how deep my bench was, how many people really cared and stepped up. So yeah, it's actually turned out to be a blessing. I'm back at work. I'm really tired. You know, like, last week was my first week back at work and I was like high-fiving everyone. I'm so excited to be here and see everyone at Gonzaga. And by three o'clock, I just hit the wall and I crashed. And so I got to be a little smarter with my return to work protocols. But um, yeah, it's actually been a blessing in disguise. Glad to hear you're on the mend. You're healing up well. I can definitely tell in your voice uh, your enthusiasm for life, for Gonzaga basketball, for the game of basketball is still there. And and it, maybe it is as big as ever. So, Mike, I really appreciate you joining today, sharing some stories, talking about hoop commitment, and, and just breaking it down on leadership and your experiences. So for Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, we appreciate you, Mike. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.